Josh Krakalakin, everybody. My new smart guy, Matt Zapala here. Healing Tear from Dallas, Texas. And welcome to another episode of the Millionaire Goals Podcast. Episode Deuce Deuce in studio with me today. Home team. What's going on? Milton Alvarez. Come on, baby. Uh, how, by the way, how we feeling, man? We did the Murph workout on Monday from, uh, from what, 10 to like 1 o'clock for uh, our tribute to Memorial Day. How's yeah. your body, bro? My legs are shot, man. I think it was more the pressure, uh, knowing that I work with majority of your team, and I had to finish. There was a lot of eyes on me, so that definitely pushed me, man. Hey, a big shout out to the uh, Money Smart Movement team here in Dallas, Texas. Super proud of you guys. I was impressed with a lot of our ladies and a lot of our guys that showed up. That may not have hit the gym in a minute, but they showed up, and uh, it was a tough workout. If you guys don't know anything about the Murph Workouts, it's a workouts by. Uh, Medal of Honor recipient and also deceased um, veteran, uh, <coughs> Lieutenant Michael Murphy. If you ever watched the movie Lone Survivor, it's the guy that uh, died at the top of the hill trying to get his satellite phone to call in for air support and, and for an Ixfil, uh extract. So uh, anyway, uh, that workout is dedicated to our fallen heroes, our fallen warriors, uh, which is inspired by Lieutenant Michael Murphy. Basically, it's a one-mile run. Mm-hmm. Okay. By the way, I was wheezing right at the half mile, <laughs> half mile mark, <laughs> right. And then when we get back to the studio or back to the uh, the field, we had to do a hundred pull-ups. It's a hundred pull-ups, two hundred push-ups, three hundred air squats. And if you're able to do ten here and twenty here and thirty here and have it all add up, you wrap it all up with another. Mile One run. mile run. To finish off, man. <laughs> My legs were numb at the end. It was a great time, though, man. Still gas, man. But salute, <laughs> salute to our guys. And uh, for our, our families out there, again, for this Memorial Day weekend, our families, our hearts are with you. For those who have your sons, daughters, husbands, wives, gave the ultimate sacrifice for the country's freedom in our beautiful country, the United States of America. God bless your families and our gold star families. All right, in this... Episode today, episode 22, we got an interesting uh, set of topics here. We've got uh, parents taking in their 20-year-old kids to live with them. We've got uh, uh, Barbara Corcoran, who's a shark and shark. I can talk about, yeah, I may be a shark and shark there, but I never saved a dime. Let's, we'll unpack that. We've got uh, uh, muscle loss associated to alcohol consumption. Mm-hmm. What people feel about Christianity and mega churches and celebrity pastors, celebrity culture, and uh, we'll unpack that too as well because uh, a show I watched back in 2013 called The Preachers of L.A. is back again in 2023, which is pretty interesting. So they highlighted these pastors, pastors or preachers of L.A., man, in the 6'4", Chevy Impala's rolling, and man, these guys are pimped out and decked out. And a lot of people had reactions to it. Kirk Franken said something pretty profound about that show a minute ago, and we'll discuss that on the show. But uh, why don't we kick off our episode 22 here with some blind reaction videos. Mm. Um, Jordan, why don't we start off with uh, the first one of the problem of being a father. What's up? If a man is at home all the time and he's the breadwinner, that's a bad sign. And the problem with being a father is you can never get it 100. If I give you time, we don't have money. If I get the money, you don't have me. I can't be there and earn a living at the same time. I'm limited and I have an obligation to make sure your life is better than mine. The difficult thing about being a father is that everybody wants it now. The kid wants it now, 
The wife wants it now. The job wants it now. The opportunity is now because in your early years are your earning years. All the things that you call normal are miracles. Your normal is your daddy's miracle. But the reason you don't see wow. it is because it's normal. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking about my parents coming here from the Philippines. If my parents didn't make a decision, my father didn't make a decision, I'd be raised in the streets of Manila on a jeepney. God knows what I'd be doing right now. If it was up my mom's way, I'd be raised in a, in a farm with goats and chickens and you know, fish ponds in the backyard in, in the countryside in the Philippines. I mean, their, their wealth in the Philippines is normal in America. I mean, some of the wealthiest people that live in the world live in America. They don't even appreciate what they have here in America. When you first, when you first saw this, my, when, uh, my first, I, have you seen the movie uh, Fences with Denzel Washington? How he's talking to his son. Oh, when he's he confronting him on the outside. And his you think I'm doing this there. because I love you? Yeah. <laughs> what is he, right? When Denzel says to his son, you think I'm working and busting my tail because I love you? No, it's my job as a man to do this for you. I don't, I don't care about you thinking that I love you. It's my obligation as a father to provide for you, put a roof over your head and to set that example. And uh, when Bishop T.D. Jakes here talks about if a man is just sitting at home, not doing nothing, playing video games, uh, idle time, you know, waiting for things to happen instead of making things happen, that's a bad sign you give to your son, because what, guess what your son and your children are going to see? Yeah. Bad example. Exactly. What's your thoughts? Completely. I, I think um, from from the ages of, well, when they're born, of course, and when they, uh, kids start walking, from so the, around the ages of three, four years old, up to the age of six, seven years old, everything your, your child sees, what they listen to, what they watch, what they read, the environments that they're in, they're going to mimic that. That's how they're going yeah. to be wired for the rest of their lives. And if they're, they're being brought up in a position where they see the father consistently just hanging low, hanging yeah. out, not really doing much of the work, not taking the leadership role on in the family, most likely they're going to end up in the same exact position. Yeah. And you're not saying any good example, especially if you have a young man. And yeah. here's the thing, a lot of men nowadays, they don't want to take on uh, that role of having to be the one to put your life down on the line to sacrifice so that way the coming, the leading, the coming generations are the ones who are going to uh, receive the fruit of your works nowadays. A yeah. lot of people think, oh, I'm working my tail off now, but I don't see any fruit. It's, there's no purpose behind it. I'm just going to chill. Yeah. Not knowing that all the work that you're putting in now, you're not doing it for yourself. You're yeah. doing it for the generations to come. Yeah. You know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine, John Rulin, we did an interview a while ago about, he's got a book called Giftology. I've yeah. got a set of stick knives at the house. Every time I cut my stick, these stick knives say, it says exclusive made for the Zapala family. And these are, this is a love gift from my buddy, uh, John Rulin. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, check out his book, Giftology. Anyway, he invited me a couple of weeks ago. He was flying into Dallas because he was speaking at a conference. And uh, Jeff, Jesse Itzler was there. So if you guys don't know who Jesse Itzler, he wrote the book, 30 Days Living with a Seal. And that, that Navy SEAL was David Goggins. Mm. So it's, it's quite funny, you know, the side story, we had uh, our conferences a couple, uh, five years ago, and we had David Goggins at our conference, and then the, uh, the flip side guy, Tons, had Jesse Itzler. So, yeah. so it's so weird how these guys came together. Anyway, Jesse Itzler, back in the day, he was a rapper, right? Uh, with Kid and Play, same uh, uh, record company. And uh, anyway, make a long story short, he says, my dad gave me billions, but not financially. And think about this. This man didn't know that his son would be a billionaire. And then his daughter, uh, 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 she created the uh, product called Spanx. Mm -hmm. So when, when, you're, when you're looking at what you're, you're giving your, this next generation, is that even though he may financially not give billions, he might be working towards it, 
But what you're really giving is a work ethic, an example, because he took that from his father. My dad gave me billions in terms of work ethic and, spir- and spiritual awareness and, and who I was as a man. But when it comes to finances, very little. But I took those values and principles and mindset and work ethic, and I created Zyko Water, which is that, uh, you know, the Zyko Water, the coconut water. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He created that company. He created an a, 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 a air jet company, and uh, he became to become a billionaire because his father gave him lessons that he can take into his life. So if you have guilt as a father, the problem with the man is the guilt we have sometimes that we're constantly having to provide, especially in a world where inflation's high, interest is high, it's hard to make ends meet. For the men out there making ends meet, I want you to know you're encur- I, we want to encourage you. Pat on the back for the money, smart guy. Pat on the back for the Millionaire Goals podcast. I want you to know that what you're doing out there is noble. It's right. It may not make you rich. That's why you got to find out where to... We're going to spend your time and energy is to make sure whatever time and energy that goes by, you get the most investment for that time and energy that you invest into this world. But uh, we want you to know, man, if you're out there, you're working, you're making an honest wage, you're doing the example by setting forth that, uh, ex- you know, that work ethic for your children, pat on the back from us, which leads us into the next reaction video, which is a NYU marketing professor says work-life balance is a myth. Let's take a look at this. You can have it all. You just can't have it all at once. And while we all know that guy or gal who has a great relationship with their parents, is in amazing shape, has a flu blog, donates time at the ASPCA, and is a DJ on the weekends, assume you are not that person. If you expect to be in the top 10% economically, much less the top 1%, buck up. Two decades plus of nothing but work. That's my experience. That's right. By the way, what did we say last podcast? 20, 20 years of no big mistakes. Yeah. Because there's the opportunity to, to, to make ends meet. So um, back to his point, he edifies the point made by Bishop T.D. Jakes. So listen, everybody wants it right now. Yeah. This guy's saying 20 years. Backstage, Ed Slot, uh, he said, man, if you do the right things over and over every day for the next 20 years, then you'll be an overnight success. <laughs> then everybody's going to know you. 20 name. years. But man. for 20 years, no one's gonna, not going to know you. They're going to know of you, but not going to know about you. What's your thoughts here now that you're kind of like in this, you're like in this middle, right? You're not in your yeah. 20s anymore. You're not in your 40s yet, but you're definitely in your 30s. 31, to be exact. 31, 31 years old. Um, I, I think for a lot of this younger generation, even the older High crowd, credit score, cash in a bank, got a successful business. See, I'll, I'll be your Jerry Maguire, yeah, bro. I appreciate you, bro. Thanks, man. <laughs> You'll be the main speaker at my wedding. Um, I, think, I think nowadays, that, that, that's one of the downfalls of social media. You jump on social media, you see an Andrew Tate, you see, you see people of influence, you see people who are leading a certain movement, and you see the cars, you see the fame, you see the money, you see, well, a lot of these younger men, you see the women, you see the luxuries, and immediately all you see is that, that face of what they have, and automatically, you know, you have a lot of these gurus online talking about, we have this program, we have this system, we have this blueprint that if you follow us for the next three to four months, you're going to be cre- generating X, Y, Z amount every single month, and you'll become a billionaire, or not a billionaire, but a millionaire yeah. within the next 24 months of your life, not knowing the amount of work that it actually took to be able to attain what they actually had. They think overnight success is so attainable because of what social media shows completely off. Yeah. And one of the things that I spoke on not that long ago on, on one of my videos that I posted on social media was if you don't have... The go- if, you, if you haven't reached the goal that you're trying to reach, whether it's, I don't know, it, it could be a million dollars in the bank, it could be a million dollars cash flow, it could be half a million dollar home, whatever the case may be, on a financial level, physical level, whatever the case may be, you don't have time and you shouldn't have the energy to have a work-life balance. If you don't have what you want when it comes down to your vision, your mission, or whatever the case may be, you need to be able to throw every ounce of your energy, your time, and your money at that specific goal if you haven't reached that specific thing that you're trying to reach. 
Because if not, if you try to take away from that and you think that there needs to be a work-life balance, you need to have a balanced life consistently and, you know, I'm only going to work about four or five hours a day and then the rest of the day I'm going to have leisure time, you're not going to be able to attain your goal in the time frame that you should be attaining it. And the unfortunate thing about that is that people are counting on you, your family's counting on you, your wife, your kids, and even your ex- you know, external family's counting on you to, to take that move. But most of all, God's waiting on you. God's waiting on you to take that step forward so that way you can explode out of the, that cocoon that we Let's all have, our comfort zone, Let's so that go. way we can do a, have a bigger impact in this world, man. You know, I talk about work-life integration, like yeah. involve your kids in what you're doing. You know, uh, I, I was a single father, three kids. You know, even though I'm married now for the last going on nine years, I didn't have that luxury for, for 12, 14 years. I was a single dad making things happen, and one of the best things that my kids say, I say, hey, hey girls, listen, hey, hey, Ruben, you know, uh, when, when your dad was coming up, I was in a much different financial perspective than I was today. When Jordan was born in 2019, I brought the kids downstairs. Listen, kids, don't be jealous going forward. Don't be jealous of a younger brother because he'll have much more access to options, opportunities, and things, and technology mm-hmm. than you had when you were in kindergarten, first grade, second grade. So please don't be jealous because your dad was in a much position 20 years later when you were, when you were being raised than I was now raising now, your, your now youngest brother. And so they understood that. And so um, yesterday, um, I, 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 what were we doing yesterday? So yesterday, I, anyway, weird times, I just had lunch by myself, right? I was, I was zipping, zipping, zigging and zagging. I'm like, oh, I'm freaking hungry. Hadn't, hadn't ate all day. Typical entrepreneurial day, right? And um, I grab a quick lunch, grab some butter, chicken, and rice. That's fantastic. But, uh, <laughs> That's great, man. Next thing I get a FaceTime, right? And I think it's just one of my daughters. I, I look at the phone. Next thing it's all three of them. They're having a conversation about one of the relations my daughter is in, and they want my opinion on it. Think about that, you know, to, to be involved in your children. Hey, Dad, what do you think about this? You know, you know my sisters, you know, this, this big brother Ruben, my sisters are doing this. I give him my insight, and I said, I say, you know what, let's call Dad because he'll probably c- come and bring a different perspective none of us are even thinking about, right? By the way, where do they learn this stuff from? I, I wasn't this guy two, three, four, five years ago in their life, but they just remember all the stuff when they were kids, and how they were raised in entrepreneurship and how they were raised in the church, how they were raised in the grind, because I integrated them into everything I got going. Because, again, I said earlier, work hard at the right things. If you're going to invest time and energy and money, make sure it pays off. Make sure that it's something you can control later on and hand on to your children. And so, you know, for them to call me yesterday, it was, it was a big revelation to me that I, I told them, uh, Milton, I said, the older you get, because, you know, there's a phase there they're demonizing you. Daddy doesn't know anything. I said, the older you get, the smarter I become. I think it's starting to pay off now, bro. <laughs> just, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. just a little bit. And so, yeah, we're all going to be together for my son's uh, baby shower because I'm going to be a granddad in August, September time frame. But uh, Ruben's going to be a dad. Ruben's going to be a dad. Wow. Ruben's going to be a dad. So he got a, he's got a daughter uh, that's coming in August, September. So uh, shout out to my son Ruben out there, out there in Denver. Congratulations, Colorado. man. Yep. So uh, and shout out to my twin daughters that to involve me in the conversation. I love you. And I appreciate you integrating me into your daily lives. And well, again, the, the younger boys, you know, uh, to, to not be able to uh, be under the thumb of corporate America, you know, you, you just got to figure out what your work life is going to be about. Mm-hmm. Then you can figure out whether it's going to be balanced or it's going to be integrated. I chose integration because then there's involvement. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, if you can employ your kids as part of your business, you can, you can pay them, I think it's like $13,000 a year without having to uh, pay tax on it. So we fund all their money, either they buy things for them through that, or we put into their through salary through their salary it mm. goes into their uh, their future college funds or future business accounts. Uh, let's go to the next video. Uh, when we're talking about um, marriage and building a family, men now 
don't want to marry anymore because they feel the losses and risk outweigh the benefits. Let's take a look at this. And don't want to marry anymore because the risk outweighs the benefits. There's a risk that comes with marriage that essentially only benefits a woman. A man marries you and can only hope that one day you don't wake up and say, I feel like I don't love you anymore and I want to leave and you can't do anything about it. According to ASA, 70 to 80 percent of divorces are initiated by women. Among college educated women, it jumps to 90 percent. You know what's crazy? I mean, a lot of us women don't have anything a man actually wants that we can bring to this. Uh, bro, I was first of all, I was surprised that it was a woman. By the way, we're doing a, these are all blind reactions. I was surprised it was a woman saying this. Yeah, and so. What, what are the risks? Let's unpack the risks. Let's be open. Let's be transparent about what are those risks about, if we can boil it down to maybe three big risks all men think about when getting married. Okay, number one. I would say divorce and then getting half of your, your stuff taken away That's from it. you. Divorce, you spend you know, X amount of years of your life yeah. towards this, towards this uh, wife of yours. And then, and then, number two, she takes half of it because the laws are tilted most, most likely to the favor of the woman. Alimony, yeah. child support. Uh, those type of things. Um, what's what's the third one? Uh, the third risk is she cheats on you, and you, you you gave her your world. Yeah, right. You gave her your world. Next, thing you know, she's texting somebody else. She's DM somebody else. Interaction, cheats on the other side. That's a risk. That's a that's a heart risk. It may not be a financial risk. May yeah. not be a title risk, but it's definitely a heart risk. I dealt with that. So I remember going on a mission, man, and found out that my wife was cheating on me. And I remember going uh, taking a call on a payphone and a hanger. I just asked her a question. You know, I, <clears throat> did this happen? Yeah. And the, the, the helicopters are turned. My squad is in a helicopter. Wait for it. So, Paula, let's go. And I found out the answer. I, I physically, brother, I felt my heart drop to my stomach. Yeah. Like, what the hell? I'm a man. I'm a freaking Marine about to go on a freaking mission. What, why am I feeling this way? Welcome to being human. Yeah. And without, you know, really processing, I just went on that mission. And probably the wrong mission to be on because now my mind completely wasn't on the mission. But thank God we came back safe. But that's the type of risk that, that a lot of men. By the way, for those of you in the comment section, what do you think the risks are for men? And by the way, let me flip it. And women, what are some of the risks that also women face when getting married? But I'll say this. Everything life, including getting married, is probabilities behind it, man. Yeah. There's risk behind every decision you make. There's a risk in going in business for yourself. There's a risk in getting married. There's a risk in going to college. The risk in not going to college. There's a risk in honoring your mother, mother and father. There's a risk in not honor, uh, honoring uh, your mother and father. Because sometimes we talk about honoring your mother and father, with, but you don't know my dad. You don't. You don't know my. You don't know my mom, right? I can't never forgive them. I can't never honor them. By the way, you thought you were honoring and forgiving them for 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 for, for them. Yeah. You're doing it for you. So therefore, you can live life with a clean heart, with a with a light load on your back, and you can go through life sprinting and running without having any drag and, and anything weighing you down and so um i'm, I'm just thinking yeah uh, out loud here but uh what, what do you think some of the risks are are any, your thoughts or what are some of the risks you think women face well let's 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 turn it around to to a different uh angle how what if we speak on especially since you, you've already been you, you're, you've been married yeah you're married now yep successful marriage it's not perfect but successful yep. you have your kids you have your business you know, you're going down the path that you know you once thought could never peak, could never be, but now it's happening, and you're, you're walking under God's will. And I'm in a position where I'm going to stand still, working my business, building myself up, 
trying to trim the fat off my mm-hmm. emotional intelligence and all this other stuff that mm-hmm. I've that that I've built up over time from the the pains, the heartbreaks, and X Y Zs. What are some? And I guess we can both share it, right? From a single guy, thirty one year old dude, and a, a married man uh, who's already been there, done that, he has the life experience of it. Yeah. What are some things that young men, young women, or even men and women of any age who are still in that realm of f- trying to find someone? or potentially calling it quits in their marriage? What are a couple of things that they can do or look for that will reduce the risk of the three things that we named, which is the, the divorce, the cheating, and... Uh, well, I th- yeah, I yeah. think you ask, I, I think in the, in the dating process, that's yeah. one of the most critical questions you ask in the dating process. Because sometimes in the most relationships, obviously including marriage, primarily marriage, is that there's unrealized expectations, unmet expectations. Yeah. Because you never managed up front. They were not tough, never talked about up front. So asking the tough questions up front, for example, what you're feeling about marriages and divorce? Not just marriage. Because yeah. we can be in this whole fantasy thing about getting married, but what, what happens when things are rough? Mm-hmm. For example, like, like praising God, not just when times are great, but you praise God when times are bad. Yeah. When do you praise God, right? When do you have the best friends around you? When times are great around you or times when you're really rough and people are reversing course on you? Who still shows up is your friend. And so you got to ask these questions. What's your... Your, your views on marriage, what's your views on divorce, what's your, what's your views on kids, how many kids you want, one, yeah. three, five, why Why that amount, uh, what's your thoughts on finances, what's your thoughts on credit score, what's your thoughts on investing, what's your thoughts on uh, us getting to the next financial level. So I think a lot of these things, and by the way, this happened a lot through arranged marriages back in the day. Yeah, Like there's wisdom back in the day of arranged marriages. Like we're not gonna allow you to marry our daughter and vice versa unless there's a multiplication and unification factor when these two folks get married. Think about the chivalry and the ability behind that. The only way our, your daughter and my son are ever going to get married is if you bring a financial con- contribution and unify the families together so therefore we don't go to war. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's, how, that's how marriages were, were created. What are marriages for today? So that's what you have to process, whatever that definition is for you. For me, I want to create generational wealth. I want to make sure our last name lasts forever. I want to make sure that the people we produce as, as Sapalas are great citizens, are great contributors to America, that they're, uh, they're solution providers, not problem makers. These are some of the things that I envision for my family. And, and, and like, you know, there's different Sapalas in different aspects and in different facets of life. I want them to be able to say, like people say, you know, that's a Rockefeller. Yeah. You know, that, that's, a, that's a Trump. You know, that's a Bush. Uh, that's a Kennedy. I want them to be able to say one day, man, that's bro, Sapala. that's a Sapala. So from the, th- from, from, the, from, from the things you just spoke right now, I got three, I extracted three things out of it. Number one, being able to have a, foundi- uh, uh, a strong foundation in faith. Yeah. Because as we spoke pr- uh, prior, prior to this podcast itself, this yeah. episode, if you can hold a strong relationship with God and your relationship with God can be at a, at a, at a good stance where you communicate with God daily, you read about God daily, mm-hmm. try to get to know God on a consistent basis, and you're able to communicate, aka yeah. prayer, with an entity that does not verbally speak back to you and you can still hold on to that, yeah. how much easier would it be to be in a relationship with a person who can actually communicate with you? But from that, you need the next two, which is emotional intelligence, know how to, mm-hmm. know how to understand your emotions, know how to control your emotions in every single situation, yeah. and number three, having also uh, uh, a good communi- uh, communication skill set knowing how to communicate how you feel knowing how to communicate you know how certain situations make you feel and and also knowing how to have open dialogue with your partner and not be on the uh, on the defense at all times but the last thing the biggest thing that i got from matt is you need to have clarity have clarity on exactly what it is you want from the marriage how which direction you want it to go and make sure that both parties are on on a similar path or if not on the exact same path towards a specific vision and goal um we have here a guy uh brandon marquez he said men are scared of losing when statistics 
show that marriages fail. Men are built to be warriors. The thought of losing scares men as a whole. Sure. We don't want to lose. Yeah. Because a marriage and a divorce, divorce signifies failure. Yeah. A marriage signifies victory. We don't want to lose that stuff. Whether it be finances, stature, title, whatever case may be, and start all over again. That's exactly what Laquan Butler said. Uh, Laquan, what's up, Laquan? Me, who already experienced a divorce, is scared of doing it again. It beats you up mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. And that's the thing a lot of men don't talk about that. They don't know how to express that emotional intelligence and knowing how to communicate. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and that's why communication, openness, and the, the weird word I'm about to bring up here, which a lot of men don't want to bring up, is vulnerability. Vulnerability to other men, vulnerability to other women. By the way, we got to be careful who you're vulnerable to. Though yeah. I'm saying that word, you got to be very, very, very careful, or you're vulnerable that they don't end up using that stuff as against you. Against as you. A weapon. Exactly. They don't weaponize your your vulnerability against you. So, but you do have to find somebody that you're vulnerable to, whether it be a pastor or somebody that's objective, somebody that's maybe not anywhere close to what you're doing in business and your family or your physical or your, your, your financial life, you've got to find somebody that you can be vulnerable and they can shut it down. That's, that's why uh, having a, a therapist, having a faith-based uh, type of psychologist yep. helps you get through that. Uh, it's an underpaid profession, which is our mental health providers. Um, we'll do the other uh, two videos. We, we're just uh, short here on, on time, but let's talk about, speaking of kids, let's talk about parents and kids. Uh, let's look at this uh, article. Um, excuse me here real quick. Uh, this article here in Fortune about someone in their 20s living with their parents and thrilled about it. Moving in with mom and dad isn't the rock bottom thing people think, rock bottom people think it is. So as first headline, what's your initial thoughts on the headline? I'm, I'm, I'm all for the struggle, man. It thrilled about moving back. I think you know, ten years ago. So you're, so you're, 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 you have uh, you're opposite with this headline. I'm opposite of it, man. Okay. I, 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 I would see that as a as a defeat in my in my eyes, personally. Let, let's let's put some context because Aaron Crawley, a 28 year old, Jesus, who moved in with her father and stepmother to save money and pay down her student loans, expresses how living with family has allowed her to alloc- allocate significantly more towards her loan payments. Living with families allowed me to put my money towards quality of life goals. My costs are so low, I'm so lucky to have them because she's got $41,000 in student loan debt. Another one in this article um, is Atana Patillo, who's a financial advisor at Vanguard, argues that while living with parents offers young adults the opportunity to create a financial plan without, uh, uh, while learning about uh, adult financial responsibility, she emphasized that in today's expensive and challenging economy, those who have the support of their families are not in train wrecks but rather individuals making the most of their increasingly untenable situation. But you, going back to your point, you believe in the heart. I, I, I yes, exactly, I believe in the heart. <laughs> I'm, grateful, I'm grateful for the struggle, man. And I, I wrote these three, the, these three things down that actually got instilled in me during the struggle. And don't get me wrong, the struggle, is, it sucks. It's hard. It's, it's really uncomfortable. It, it makes you th- want to throw in the towel. It makes you say, woe is me. It makes you almost have that victim mentality and you go to it sometimes you can even go to a very dark place but if you are approaching it with a different perspective and you're seeing on how it's how it's actually adding to you again the concept of life doesn't happen to you it's happening for you and you approach a lot of these situations with that perception number one is problem solving skills 
you know, struggle often uh, requires uh, being able to find a solution. And a lot of these teenagers don't have that. A lot of mm-hmm. these teenagers are very coddled. A lot of these mm-hmm. teenagers are very entitled and they're very, they're overprotected by their parents. And because of that, they don't have life skills. The participation trophy generation. Bingo. So, you know, in the midst of this, you know, you're, you're learning how to be able to analyze problems. You, you learn how to consider different, uh, different options and you develop effective strategies for solutions. And number two, self-awareness. There's going to be ups and downs in every aspect of your life, regardless of what decade you are living in. But these are, these are going to be great opportunities for ha- to have a deeper understanding of your strengths, your weaknesses, your values, and the aspirations. This is a great way to be able to be guided towards personal growth and to be able to be informed on what's next in your future. And the third one is be- being able to build your confidence. The more adversities you go through, and you're able to overcome them, and you're able to get past them. You might fall, you might struggle, you might slow down, but every single time you overcome it, overcome it is going to build your confidence to the next level, man. I love it. Um, let's take a look at the other article, which is which kind of adds to that point. Yeah. Parents spark debate for charging teen three hundred dollars for rent and food each month. They even put it on TikTok. Well, uh, why don't we put take a look at what they said here on TikTok? Um, Jordan, if you can put it up there. All right, so y'all tell us, do you make your graduated high school student pay rent in your house if they don't, if they aren't going to college yet? Tell us what you think. Well, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Because my thought is, and our thought together is that since Fred has graduated a couple of weeks ago, I told her, and I have been telling her for the last couple of months that, hey, June the 1st, your rent's due if you're going to continue to live here. I thought that was a little harsh. I mean, maybe a little leeway. 200 bucks a month is plenty cheap to live like a grub in your parents' house. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's cheaper than she eats in food. Exactly. Well, it's 300 if she wants to eat Anybody here. Anybody eats in food. It's 300 a month oh. if she wants to eat out of the fridge. <laughs> okay, never mind. It's 200 if she wants to buy her own groceries. So, what are y'all's thoughts? Yeah, tell us what you think. What, what do you think about charging your your adult children rent if they're going to... We think it teaches them a good lesson in paying bills. If they're going to reside in your domicile, what, yeah. what are your thoughts? Y'all keep ranching. Keep ranching. Cool. By the way, I, I, I love this. I mean, they're looking for solutions. They're looking for a compromise. Look, By the way, look how mom was just like the mother hen. Yeah. My baby, you know, she has a place to live, blah, blah, blah. But she's an adult child. Yeah. You know, when, when you can let it go. But dad says at least what? Charges some rent. I bet you maybe may have been four hundred, but he said, "Okay, let me bring it down to two hundred dollars." You know, that's I think what the the backstory is behind closed doors. You know, outside when the camera's on, but I think these parents are trying to find a compromise. Outside this, brother, I got twin girls, right? You know what my feeling is? My natural disposition is: you ain't leaving my house until you get married. (laughs) But you know, I'm a naturally protective father, and uh, you know, I I promise you, brother, uh, you have a girl. And your viewpoint and perspective of women, Believe members you. of the opposite sex, completely change. That's how, that's how God just smacked me. He says, really? That's, that's, that's how, let me, let me, you, you screwed that up for many, many years. Let me give you two daughters and you're on twins at that, right? And so uh, it reminded me how much of a heathen I was and some of the major mistakes I make as a man when it comes to members of the opposite sex and gender. And so when we're looking at... Uh, these parents, uh, I, I get to give them, uh, at least they're not letting her live rent-free. So yeah. you believe in the hard, yeah. but in their opinion, the hard is 200 bucks a month. Yeah. <laughs> or, or 300 bucks a month. Yeah. But uh, I'll tell you what, though, I, with me saying that, I also said this. Girls, Ruben, you got three options when you turn 18. Number one, you enlist into the military. 
You get involved in the Air Force, you get enlisted in the Air Force, you're going to serve our country to some capacity, or you serve the Peace Corps. Either way, you're going to serve an, an, a nonprofit organization mm-hmm. for the benefit of you understanding the value of service. So that's number one. Number two, you go to college. Now, I'm not going to pay for all your college. I can afford to pay for all your college, but I'm not going to pay for all of it because we don't believe that you're going to value things you get for free. Yeah. So you're going to have to pay for half. We'll pay for half, you pay for half, but you might get in student loan debt. You might, uh, you might uh, have to get some jobs to, to pay for your college, but you're going to pay for your college education at least 50%. Or number three, speaking of jobs, you just get a job. So all three of my older kids never went to college, right? And they all, they're all working. Uh, they're all working. Because they asked me again, Dad, should I enlist in the military? I said, yeah, depends on what branch of service, and this is how you got to equip yourself to be a light amongst darkness in the military, especially in this woke in, in this woke military, mm-hmm. in this woke administration. So obviously, the military is facing the, the the elements of woke culture even in the military, which completely annoys a lot of veterans, me me me, me specifically. So those are the options at eighteen. Second one. I had the same point as you, bro. Life is hard. Mm-hmm. Teach them hard. You might as well learn it early right now yeah. because your hard early in your life has created you to become the man you are today. Correct. Right? 100%. And, and, and right now, you're not going to change that. You no. wouldn't change that. No. Okay. Zero. And number three, I appreciate what they're doing on, so, on, on social media. I hope it's just for social media interaction, but not for people's input. Yeah. Like, get people's input, but not really getting people's input. Kind of cool, kind of fun mm-hmm. on social media. Um, but think for yourself. Model your thoughts and decisions based on those living a life that you want. And I think sometimes as parents, we think that we're in this, in this bubble that we can't seek out other parents and other examples of success. Just how we seek mentors in, in business, you got to do the same thing as a, as a parent and seek wisdom from those who've been there, done that too as well. And by the way, every time, every era, every generation will have its hard. This generation is going to have its hard. We had a, a hard generation, the drenched before. But if you want to know a really hard generation, it was a World War II generation. That was the, imagine being 18 years old, you were drafted into the military. You didn't have a choice. You were joining the Army or the Marines or whatever case it be. Vietnam, you are drafted into the military. Thank God we haven't had a draft since the Vietnam era 60 years ago. We haven't had a draft into the, in, into the, into the military. But, you know, uh, you got to figure out the life that you want, which has me thought, think again. Um, your thoughts on kids. You know, um, uh, let's go to the next topic here. This, this person here is talking about raising their own children now, but they're parenting now without their own parents. They don't have their own grandparents. Um, let's, let's kind of future play your situation real quick, you know, Milton. You got, you got kids one day. And by the way, how many kids do you want? Inquiring minds want to know. Start. How many kids does Milton Alvarez want for the Alvarez tribe? Started with one. Yeah, I got started, started dating. I got convinced to do two. Right now, I'm at a point where I'm able to do four max mentally. Max. <laughs> okay, okay. Mentally. Um, but you started with one. I started with one. And as, as, I, as I get older, the more I'm, uh, I'm more growing to the idea of having more kids. And as the older I get, I'm becoming more uh, okay with hash, having little girls. Yeah. Since I was young, I always wanted boys, 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 boys. Yeah. I always thought it's easier to, uh, it's easy to raise boys. Yeah. You, t- you teach them how life is hard, teach them how to work. When they, when they start hitting puberty, hand them a box of condoms. They're good. Mm-hmm. That was my thought process, mm-hmm. right? And with little yeah. girls, like, no. Yeah. You're staying under my supervision until you graduate college. Yeah. You're not going out. I need to make sure, I need to know your location at all, at all costs, yeah. at all times. And again, because yeah. I know how men are and how, how boys are, and I, and I understand how my early 20s play a big role on 
my mindset on, on, on how women are treated. So again, that's why, you know, in my late twenties, I'm more in the headspace of knowing what route I want to take and what I should and shouldn't do with women nowadays when it comes down to respecting their boundaries and X, Y, Z. Right. Yeah. Uh, when it comes down to the topic of actually having kids and not raising them with parents, um, unfortunately I, I, uh, my dad passed away in 2016 mm. from, from uh, stomach cancer. And, um, one of the biggest things he would always tell me is I can't wait for you to have your first child so I can hold them. I can babysit them and we can have, you know, three generations, you, myself, and then your, and your kid. And when he passed away, it was a consistent, you gave you made me a promise that you were going to be there for my firstborn. You made me a promise that you were going to show up for my, for, for my first real big, big man job, for my first property I was going to buy, for my marriage, for my first child, for my firstborn, and you're going to be there for X amount of time. You're not there. No, and then that was something that I I always had an argument with God in, in my in my deceased father, and now my mom's alive. She's seventy five years old, and for the last what four since my dad passed away for the for the last couple of years, she's been consistently asking me, "Where's your girlfriend? <laughs> yeah. Do you have a girlfriend yet?" She literally called me half an hour before the podcast. Really? Hey, how's how's Dallas? Good. <laughs> have you found a girlfriend yet? Any potentials yet? Are you gay? <laughs> oh, what? what is it? That I, what is it that I need to know? I, I can make sure I answer that question properly. <laughs> He's not. I'm not gay. <laughs> he's not. He's straight. 100%. Straight as a ruler, man. Straight as a ruler, baby. So now that that's in the back of my head. And then the conviction of, hey, son, mijo, I, you know, I don't know how many years I have left. You know, my, my health is declining. I'm getting older. It's getting harder to move. I'm starting to forget things. I want to see you with at least one child before I pass away. Yeah. So a selfish part of me saying, okay, I'm seeing how this game is being played. The longer I wait to have a child the longer my mom's going to hold on. The longer I wait to get married, the longer my mom's going to hold on. But I've seen a lot of stories where the moment someone has their firstborn or they end up getting married or the mom or the, the dad or the parents see their child exactly where they wanted, they say, all right, God, oh. I see what I want now. I'm satisfied. Now take me away. But giving them a, you got to give them another milestone. I can't wait for you to be for the next birthday. Yeah. The first birthday, the first steps, the yeah. first graduation. Exactly. So you got to keep doing it. You got to the next, next, next. I'm finding I'm doing that with my dad. Hey, dad, blah, 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 you know, maximizing. Hey, dad, you know. And so, um, you know, the, here's what this article says about raising parent with heart. Number one, parenting without parents is a constant reminder of loss. Yeah. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm empathizing your situation. I just couldn't imagine it. I'm looking at my kids, I'm bouncing my head. I loved, man, dad's not here. And, and like, whoa, well, you know, I'm glad I have my dad there. Yeah. You know, and you said, all right, uh, last week you saw me uh, with my dad. You know, we, we took him for his birthday. And uh, for the first time ever, my father's getting a custom-made, you know, clothes. Yeah. You know, yeah. took him my tailor. And the, the, my, my dad says, dad can't really talk. My mom's like, he, 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 he doesn't know how to express. But by the way, that's my dad. The whole time we were there, bro, I, he wasn't talking to me. He was talking to you. He was talking to my mom, but he doesn't talk to me. Yeah. It was the hard part. Yeah. You know? It's like, dad, talk to your son. My dad doesn't talk to his son, but he talks to his mom through me, uh, through her to me, through you to me. That's, that's my whole life. That's, that's my pop's. Either way, I'm glad he's talking. Either, I won't care if it's indirectly, but I'm glad he's talking. Um, second one, the void of history and support is deeply felt. You know, uh, I remember, bro, when, when my, my, I had an appointment and Ruben's maybe, you know, four or five. I said, Dad, can you watch, can you watch my kids? Like, my, my dad's like, it's not my kid. Like, Come on, Dad, it's like your grandkid. From there going, I said, Dad, I'm never asking everything ever again. Back to the point of not leaning on your parents. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But in a way, I'm glad my dad didn't allow me to use him as a babysitter. Mm -hmm. Now, for the guys out there, you might have a different relationship with the parents. I'm just saying what worked for me. And because it forced me to level up my business to make sure I can hire a babysitter, hire some actual professional help. 
because you know I felt the pain of my dad not saying I mean, it was a hardcore no, no, no I'm not I'm not the babysitter. And number three here says seeking understanding and acceptance in a world with living parents. Conversation about other relationship with parents become painful reminders of our own loss. I mean, it, it's it's uh, I, I could imagine you know a situation where you know at least you have your mom around. This person here in this article doesn't have it. Doesn't have any, yeah. anybody to reach up to. So they got to kind of I guess borrow grandparents. Um, had me reflect on what the Bible says about uh, about a godly home. It's in Colossians chapter three. Uh, verse starting with verse 18 all the way to chapter 4. But you know, I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's really an outline, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to summarize it. So basically the role of a wife, role of a husband, and the role of children. Okay, And furthermore, it's also the role of everybody around that, bond servants, everybody in there, and grandparents that's inside there. And if you look at the, the, the Christian home, you got mom and dad, and you also have their mom and dad. Mm. And then the other side's their mom and dad. So really, how many people are raising one child? Four up here, two here, at six total. Six kids raising one, and this person's got none. So now the, the kid doesn't know the values and premises taught for by the grandma and grandpa. Because, uh, Milton, would you agree with me? Sometimes uh, th there's ways you can get around to family members, but maybe an uncle or, or an uh, aunt or maybe one of your other cousins can talk better to somebody in your family, and they are able to explain your point. Yeah, 1,000%. I, 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 I agree with you on that point specifically. Um, going going back to one of the points you were making, how and, and I'm interested in this because I know some of the guys who are actually commenting on here. Um, that's a, a question that a lot of these men have, uh, stepping away from the business aspect of what, what what you just spoke on. You said that because your your dad said, "Hey, you know, I'm not going to babysit your your, your child. This is your child, not my <laughs> child." And you said that actually helped me level myself up in business. So. Let's take business out of the picture for a second. So although it helped you level up, although it helped you become a stronger man, more of a callous man, I would say, uh -huh. and callous can go either both negative or positive, and made you step up in your game so that we can finally hire a professional helper. Yep. Two parts here. One, you know, how did that how do you think that could potentially have affected you mentally and emotionally when it comes down to the relationship that you have with your father in correlation how you have that relationship with with with, with Ruben? And also another one that I think someone just mentioned is do you think it'd be better to be able to have someone raise your children who are actually family members, aka grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, versus hiring a professional babysitter? Yeah. So, okay, one or two ways I could have taken that. I couldn't take in the blame game route, the entitlement route. I'm, you're entitled to babysit because you're the grandfather. I could have taken that route. You're entitled to. Versus the empowerment route. I chose to take the empowerment route. Instead of getting bitter, I got better. So... One or two choices, I guess, we have at that standpoint, because then you're also going to find out what values and premises your family stands for. Maybe I, I, I vowed having a grandfather, because I didn't have a grandfather. Yeah. You know, so uh, uh, both, on both sides, they're, they're both in the, in, in, in the Philippines, and by the time I got to know them, they already had passed away. And me getting to know them was maybe a phone call here and there, and knowing of them, and not really having lunch with them, not really having dinner with them, but just knowing of them. You know, I'm, I'm in this situation. I can only imagine what my parents were dealing with trying to raise me in a new country, trying to speak a different language and, and different customs and, and different traditions. But, uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think we have to give our children the best that we know how and, and then something and go the extra mile uh, with, with our kids. So, for example, I'm already, volunteer, I'm already volunteering. Hey, Ruben, listen, you know, I want you to come to Dallas because I'd rather you raise my kids closer to me than in a completely different city and state where if push comes to shove, I can be there somehow, some way. 
here's the limitation I have with financial support because you got to figure this stuff out. You're, you're a man in your own house too as well. You, you're the one that decided to have a kid, not me. But you got to figure you got to figure this stuff out too. But I know my kids. Whenever every time they've asked me for money, I've had to give them the tough answer. And uh, you know, they say, "No, we're fine. Poppy, we get it. Fine. I apologize." Now they learn how to ask me, "Poppy, I got an idea. I got this opportunity. If I do this, will I get that? Much better. Yeah, great. Now I'm, I'm your partner, right? Not your ATM, right? And so that that's you know, to answer your question, that that that's how it's helped. But um, I just follow God's design of Bible again. Colossians chapter three uh, lays out the the the, the outline of a, a godly design of Christian home. And so from, from that going forward, you gotta, you got to figure out what your values and principles you stand for is going to be refined. This is a moment where you, you can't, by, by the way, that's why we're very saying, we're very much in saying, this is our way of doing it. This, how you do it is between your relationship, you and God. you gotta fig, you got to figure this stuff out too as well. For example, if your Christian daughter decides to befriend and boyfriend a Muslim man, an atheist man, a Jewish man, a Mormon man. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what's what's your next move, right? So th- these are things that we have to forecast uh, going down the road. But uh, man, I love to unpack this uh, some more. But uh, we got some other things here we're going to talk about. Speaking of providing for your family, Shark Tank here. Barbara Corcoran has made millions and spent her millions, including giving half of it away. Let's look at this uh, Fortune article here. Um, but she said in this article, "I've never saved a dime." She's uh, she's she's blown through her cash, and uh, come back here uh, real quick, Jordan. And she said, um, "This mindset." She says, "I never saved a dime my whole life. This mindset was influenced by my mother, who raised ten children on a tight budget, and taught her that money is meant to be spent." Back to grandparents, back to advantage and principles. Now, this is a barber. This is a shark who was raised in this mindset, not ever saving a dime. Now, we're going to my next point in this article. After selling her real estate business for $66 million in 2001, Corcoran immediately was set out to spend the proceeds. She gave half her money to her family, friends, education funds, and charities, explaining if you can't spend it, money comes, if you spend, money comes back to you. That's assuming that you have a business. Yeah. Because you can be consumer, 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 but never be a producer, producer, to generate value versus spending value. She strongly opposes hoarding and saving money as she believes it could take my spirit away. So despite investing in approximately 150 businesses, Corgan missed to making money only, only about 10% of them. Despite facing financial challenges and almost going bankrupt five times, Corgan has always managed to bounce back, driven by her mother's advice during the 1991 recession. Don't worry about the money. It's a waste of time. What's your initial thoughts with this? I think it's a scary, a scary way to live. I was actually in this realm uh, for many years, and it's, it's not comfortable. And I think a lot of this, well, at least from my end, a lot of the excessive spending came from a lot of the anxiety that I was facing in life. Like, I'm anxious because I'm broke. Yeah. So let me go waste more money because it's going to release a little bit of dopamine in me because I'm buying things that I like or it's going to distract me from what I have going on at the moment. Yeah. You know, <laughs> in my early 20s, I'd be maybe like, I'd probably have around $300 in my bank account and then on the weekend I'd go out and spend maybe half or if not more or if not end up in the negatives. In the moment, I'm not thinking about it because it's releasing dope. It's releasing all these, all these yeah. chemical reactions in my, in my body. And I'm not thinking about it. I'm under the influence. But then here comes Monday, Tuesday, and I'm negative in my account. And it's a real anxious moment that, that you experience as, as a young adult or as a, as a person. Um, and that's why, again, I'm, I'm a big believer in being able to build a skill set that's going to be able to help you generate some form of money, which will then put you in a, in a peaceful place mentally and financially. But 
definitely having multiple streams of income uh, is what cre- can create that cushion for you, right? And I think you, you say having that big... Uh, Amazon River right, cash flow. And then having everything else kind of attached yeah. to that. But if you're living paycheck to paycheck, this is really a horrible perspective to have and to, a really horrible approach to have if that's your specific situation. Yeah, if you've got a job, this is a, you know, if, if, if you're just depending on an employer to pay you money and that's a limited resource of income because you're trading time for dollars, horrible advice. Let me do. Let me, let me do the flip side to it. I get it because she's a she's a generator. Yeah. I get it because she's an investor. Yeah. I get it because she's a producer. So she can because she has confidence saying, "Listen, if I blow my money now, okay, all good. I'm gonna just create another business." Right. You know. Uh, by the way, speaking of business, I, I, I this got me a little bit curious. I want to do a little bit of research on the investments that these sharks have invested in on Shark Tank over the seasons. Have they made any money? So first of all, Damon John. Who I, have a, I have a relationship with Damon John. Uh, we've interviewed him at his house in, in New York. Uh, he revealed that 80% of the deals he makes on camera never closed. 80% they shake hands. Okay, I'm going to invest in a company. They don't close. Uh, uh, Forbes spoke to some of the business owners that made deals on Shark Tank. Um, 112 of them. They discovered that 51% of those entrepreneurs who made deals on the show actually didn't close the deal. So back to the point. It looks good on camera, but yeah. behind closed doors, after the due diligence process... You know, they don't exchange money. They don't agree to investing into the business. Uh, a few business owners admitted they went on the show not to gain investment, but to gain exposure. Ex- exactly. And publicity yeah. for the business. Uh, Mark Cuban, Kevin O'Leary, Damon John said sometimes deals going through because of the due diligence process uh, done after filming. Uh, the richest Cuban, uh, richest shark is Mark Cuban, admitted to saying that he didn't understand why he signed up for some deals. That's because 25% of the deals he made were flops. Yeah. So even the shark tanks make mistakes. But they can. Blow, but my point is this: they can blow the money, yeah, because they they are confident knowing that I have a Mississippi of a cash flow. I have a cash cow. I know how to make money. Uh, matter of fact, speaking to John Rulin, John Rulin sent me a text. He's sitting down with the uh, the uh, uh, owner of Hobby Lobby, uh, David Green. Mm. He's giving away every year. He gives away half of what he makes. Like he's got so much money coming in, he gives half of it away. <laughs> what a great place to be in. And people wonder, did the season of work-life balance and integration work out, right? Or all in, in the season of your life work out? Because these guys, these entrepreneurs, they put everything they had for a period of time. And we, talk, uh, we talked about him revealed in his, one of these videos, 20 years into it, boom. Now they've got cash cow, money-making machines. They can't stop having money uh, come their way because they, they, they cultivated, they planted seeds, cultivated, planted seeds, cultivated, planted seeds, harvest, reinvest. And uh, uh, Barbara Cogan, on the other hand, went on to tell Forbes that the worst investment she ever made on Shark Tank was investing in a fast-talking cowboy selling exercise equipment who needed to lose 50 pounds. We like to assume Barbara would have lost money, lost money and lost weight on this deal. If, if you ever watch the show, Barbara Corkin always, when everybody turns him down, she always comes out with her heart. Mm-hmm. If, you watch, if you ever watch the show. But for this reason, I'm out. This reason, I'm out. This reason, I'm out. She's looking, looking around. Okay, I'll make you a deal. Like, Barbara Corkin is always that person. Yeah. She, she invests with her heart, and she's a, she's a relationship-type person, which can help you in, in many ways, but at the same time, too, potentially hurt you and, and um, uh, get you to a point of uh, why did I invest in a business. But the flip side is this. If you're confident in how you make money, you'll be just fine. Let's go to the next topic. Speaking of that, if people don't have things going right for them, they go to alcohol. What's the problem here with alcohol? Let's, let's unpack that one. Let's do it, man. You have a bad day, things not going right, Where's my alcohol? By the way, I'm an investor in a, in a, in a whiskey company called Uncle Nearest, but it's not like I'm binge. You see me binge drinking, getting drunk all the time, even though I'm an investor in this uh, in this alcohol company. 
I'm not. So what's your thoughts on, on, on alcohol and, and the benefits or not benefits of it? Well, obviously, when we're a younger age, we utilize that as an opportunity to be able to escape. And unfortunately, when we don't get a grip on certain vices, those vices get a grip on us. And the older we get, and we're st consistently sticking to those specific routines and lifestyles, if we don't, uh, I guess you can say mature in certain areas, they're going to stick around for a, a long period of time. And then although we can probably get off of them for, for a short period of time, the moment we have some form of crisis, whether it's emotional, financial, mental, or any kind of crisis, we're going to revert back to that. And then that is going to really impact your livelihood in every possible area in a negative manner. But in this specific area, uh, it's coming down to muscle loss and how it's going to impact your physiological health. Um, and this is for all the people who work out, who want to build muscle, who want to build a summer body, who want to look a certain type of way, who want to maintain their muscle mass at a good level as you age. Obviously, as, as we age, we tend to lose muscle mass the older we get. Our hormones also are, fluctuate a lot because of the lifestyles that we live. So one of the for sure ways to help you not uh, uh, lose that muscle mass is from uh, understanding that consuming the consumption of alcohol is actually going to affect you. And here are a couple ways that alcohol actually does affect you in a negative manner. Number one is going to inhibit your protein synthesis. What that basically means is it, the process of you know the process responsible for building and repairing muscle tissue that's going to be in, completely inhibited. Number two is going to increase your cortisol levels, your stress hormone. High levels of cortisol can promote muscle breakdown and hinder hinder muscle growth so no matter how hard you're working out at the gym no matter how great you're eating if you're not sleeping and you're drinking on a consistent basis you're going to hinder your muscle growth number three nutritional deficiencies alcohol can interfere with absorption and utilization of proteins with vitamins particularly vitamin uh, uh, b complex which is the vitamin that we all need to have the energy to you know, continue on with our day, uh, and also minerals such as zinc and magnesium. As we spoke about last week, magnesium plays a massive role when it comes down to physiological anxiety, comes down to rest and mood, and it, it impacts you on, on multiple levels, especially on a cellular level. Um, it also impairs hormone production. For a lot of my men, a lot of the guys who enjoy their 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 uh, their old fashions, their whis their whiskey neats and their bourbon neats and their wellers, uh, their wellers and their makers and their cigars three four times. A Amen. Week. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> It's going to impair your hormones. And the harder you drink, the harder you go with the alcohol because of whatever case may be, you're going to see your testosterone levels by yeah. men fluctuate and also drop. And testosterone plays a massive role in mental health, physiological health, muscle, oh, uh, muscle gain, and fat gain as well if you're not at a peak level. And the last two. Also, uh, dehydration. De uh, dehydration is one of the one of the main things that can cause uh, uh, mental fatigue, can cause physiological fatigue, can cause a lot of muscle cramping, can cause a lot of uh, brain fog. A lot of times, we're not exhausted. We don't need the caffeine. We just need to be hydrated. And unfortunately, uh, alcohol dehydrates the living hell out of you. And the final one, if you're the type of person who enjoys your alcohol with a chaser, that's going to increase your calorie consumption, which then also increase the amount of calories you're consuming on a weekly basis, daily basis. And then you're going to see that beer belly or that uh, body composition completely change against you. So definitely, I'm not, I'm not going against alcohol, but definitely suggest being moderate with what, what you consume and the amount that you consume. And if you catch yourself consuming more than you should, I definitely suggest seeking professional help. I'm, I'm glad you said that word, moderation. So yes. I went to the, I, I just Googled it. Nash, uh, Jordan, can we take a look at my screen, please? Thank you. So a National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. So they actually define the drinking levels. Yeah. Okay. So what's drinking in moderation? So let's define, according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Okay, adults of legal drinking age can choose not to drink or drink in moderation by limiting intake to two drinks or less in a day. But that changes. Think about it this way too. You're you're six foot three. 
Uh-huh. You're six foot, he's six foot three, uh, 240 plus pounds. With, with, with no heels. With no heels, okay. right? <laughs> His knees aren't done. <laughs> Versus taking a, a, a five two man weighing about a hundred, a buck fifty. Gotcha. So th- that's going to completely change based off of your, your, your stature, your size, your weight, how much you eat, and also uh, are, are are you? I don't want to say immune to alcohol, but there's some people who just take one drink and they're already feel, already feeling it. Right. Right. B- binge drinking is consuming five or more drinks uh, in about two hours. You're binge drinking. That's party drinking. Okay. Uh, I've never been there before. I've observed it many times. This man said observed. Yeah, observed observed his from, own hand. I observed it from the bottom of a beer mug myself. <laughs> <laughs> now, heavy alcohol use for men is consuming four more drinks on any day or more than 14 drinks per day. That's considered heavy 14 drinks. alcohol use. By the way, I go through this too as well because when we take life insurance applications from clients, we have, and clients say this, we have to disclose this on the application because even the insurance companies want to. So but to your point, so if life insurance care enough about how you're taking care of your body, because if you don't take care of your body, you might expire soon. Yes. And their risk is higher if you expire sooner, because insurance companies don't want you to expire sooner. Yep. They want you to expire later. They want, you, they want you to meet the Lord at a later time in your life, because that's more time that they have to invest your money and create mutual returns. Uh, so, you know, uh, uh, back, uh, Jordan, so when, we look, when you're looking at, you know, I just, uh, by the way, I want to let you know, um, the periods that, I don't drink a lot of alcohol, bro. I feel better. Yeah. I feel stronger. So, you know, it, it's to me, I, I know that I pair cigars with, with, with whiskey. It's just kind of like the thing to do. But mm-hmm. I, I will say this. When I don't drink alcohol, I actually feel better, stronger, more alert. And, um, and uh, right now, these, these days, I'm 49 years old. If I drink more than two drinks, three drinks, I'm going to feel it the next morning. So let me ask you, why do we do it? If we feel better without it, why do we do it? Yeah, good, good question. I mean, for, for me, it's, I, guess, I guess it's an acquired taste. Um, uh, if, by the way, if you told me right now I don't have to take alcohol for the rest of my life, I'd be fine. So but why do we do it? I think it, for, for me, oddly enough, I've, it's an acquired taste I learned to acquire over the last 20 years of my life, smoking cigars with whiskey or, or, or tequila, uh, old-fashioned. It, it goes with just like eating a steak. It goes with you know, steak and potatoes, Yeah, you know? For me, milk and cereal, I, I, I guess. But uh, uh, I, I know where you're going. You're, you're about to corner me here. Right. That's <laughs> my question, man. But, uh, you know, I, it just goes along with what I've done, I guess. We should move on to the next topic before this becomes a therapy session. <laughs> so, on, I need Jesus. <laughs> All right, here we go. Speaking of I need Jesus, uh, let's take a look at this uh, uh, article here. Um Let's see here. This one right here. Most Americans don't like Christian celebrity culture. Mega churches study. Um, all right. So let's 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 unpack this. Uh, let's unpack this article. So uh, a recent study uh, conducted by Barna Group indicates that while seventy one percent of Americans have a positive view of Jesus, majority, including Christians, hold negative opinions of various aspects of Christian culture. According to the study, only sixteen percent of adults and teenagers view mega churches. Positively. Now, let, let's discuss a megachurch. What's a megachurch? What, a thousand people? That was, is, is, that a, is that a, if we were to find a megachurch? I would say so. Because, you know, in Chicago, we had these, we had these neighborhood churches, smaller yeah. churches, maybe 150, 200 people in there. Max. All right, me, let's see, megachurch defined. Uh, megachurch defined is, uh, uh, yeah, 2,000. 2,000 or more people in average weekend attendance is considered a megachurch. Okay. You have multiple services. And so 
when I was when I was growing up in Chicago, I heard of a Willow. What's it called? Willow Creek. Willow Creek. Willow Creek. Yeah, yeah, Willow Creek. And everybody was telling me about Willow Creek. Oh my gosh, it's a concert and blah 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 blah. It's like a full blown production. And we we're talking about the '80s and the '90s. Yeah. And God bless you, uh, Bill Hybels and and those guys that built a, a Willow Creek Church. That was one of the first megachurches I heard of in the '80s and the '90s, early 2000s when I when I started uh, understanding church and, and and building my faith. But I never went there. Here's why I never went there. I felt I went there, and I was just going to, yeah, cool, the, the production was amazing, the music is amazing, but I just felt kind of, there was no, I guess, for lack of a better word, there was no intimacy mm-hmm. with the pastor, or with people to the left and to the right of me. I get to the point where I go to church, and if I got to know so many people at the church, I'll see a church on Sunday, I'll see a church on Sunday, I'll see a church on Sunday. You go to mega church, bro, were you at church? Yeah, bro, I was, I was, I was in section C, yeah, row yeah, 35, yeah. right? Because either they're running late, their normal seat's taken, you know, you, you go to, uh, you go to uh, what's the church in Houston? Um, Lakewood? Yeah, uh, Joel Osteen's church. The average weekly attendance is 43,000 people. Crazy. That's a, that's a, that's a. 43,000. That's a, that's a football, that's a football game. It's a basketball game. That's a, it's a full-blown professional team that you're playing and what, that, that you're watching playing. So. It literally looks like a stadium. Unreal, yeah. Ridiculous, man. That's, that's crazy, bro. Lake, Lakewood Church? Lakewood Church. You know, you, you, you go to that church, amazing ministry, right? So Lake, let's, let's, let's go to Lakewood Church, uh, um, uh, images. So, uh, yeah, Jordan, can you take a look at my, uh, my screen here? This is, uh, this is, Lake, look at, this is uh, 10 years ago. <laughs> right? You could be at church every Sunday, sit in the same section. If your friends run behind late, you lose them. So I'm, I'm just curious, for those of you guys watching this podcast, either live or watching the replay, what do you prefer, mega churches or local neighborhood churches? Maybe two, 300, 400. What, what, what type of church gets too big for you? Um, the church we go to here in, in Frisco, Elevate Life, they got multiple services, beautiful campus, be, be, beautiful property. Um, love, love the pastor, um, <coughs> Keith Kraft. Hmm. I don't think it's too big for me. I think it's. I think it's just right. I can still see. I can see the bigness of it, but I can see also the intimacy. Uh, a youth pastor one time broke broke it down to. He says, "The bigger church gets, the smaller it has to become." And I'm realizing, recognizing with my own business, because you can get lost in a sauce very quickly in a, in a mega church unless you get plugged into a small group. In our office, unless you take a role in the office, you you can be running your own agency in our office, but not, never have a leadership role and never get edified in front of everybody. But you can be part of a big office. So the bigger you get, the smaller you have to plug. The more proactive you have to be as a believer, and that way for a pastor to tell you you need to plug into that, plug into this, because sometimes people aren't thinking for themselves. So you have to be more proactive. If you go into a mega church, um, in that regard. Uh, so a lot of people here. Let, let me let me tell you something else. One thing I didn't like uh, personally for me is this uh, is aspect of where is it here? Uh, have you heard of this? Um, uh, uh, a past, uh, uh, preachers of LA, okay? So there's, there's a reality show in 2013 called Preachers of LA. So let's take a look at my screen here. Kirk Franklin is a worship leader, uh, recording artist, award-winning recording artist, this point in Preachers of LA. I've been suggesting that reality show turned people away from God because people saw these pastors and the pastors regarded themselves as basically celebrities. Bro, they'd be rolling 64 Chevy Impalas convertible, Looking like a gangster, like decked out on, on switches, right? Low riding. And these guys would be decked out in Gucci and, you know, it's, it's one thing to be decked out, but they're, they're boastful about it. 
So you're, you know, you, you've been to church, you, you've, you've led men, yeah. you've, you've preached the word. What's your, what's your thoughts on being a celebrity type pastor? Here's the thing with that, you know, uh, I think the, so. This might be uh, a little bit controversial. One thing I've seen amongst the uh, amongst the years, you know, it does say that, you know, when we when you become faithful, God, God will give you a platform. But my 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 problem is a lot of these quote unquote celebrity pastors and preachers, a lot of these people are just utilizing the platform for their own personal exposure, their own personal endeavors, and that within itself is what gives any church that preaches about God wants to prosper you. Mm -hmm. They merely they, they merely revert that into the prosperity gospel being this evil approach to uh, to 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 church. When in reality, the true the true definition of what the prosperity gospel is is giving the people the understanding that their identity is depending on what, who God says they are, mm -hmm. and who we are in God, who we are in Christ, is not meant to be consistently in the lower spectrum of defeat. We're meant to do more. We're meant to elevate. We're meant to have a platform so that we can help more people out. The more we grow, the more people we pull up. The more we grow, the more influence we have. The more influence yeah. we have, the more people we're able to reach out to. Mm -hmm. It's the people who utilize these, these platforms to have their own gain, their self-centered gain, a.k.a these preachers, AKA these celebrity pastors, preachers who utilize it for their own monetary advan advantages, for their own personal endeavors, and they utilize God's name in vain and utilize God's name for their own um, advantages of trying to make more money and get more exposure. It's, it's, it's also, that, uh, it could be an identity thing too as well, because it looks boastful. When I yeah. see preachers of LA, it looks boastful. They're not honoring, like you want to shine for God, not shine for you. Yeah. So uh, Jeremiah 9 Chapter 9, verse 23 says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom. So even if you're wise, you don't boast your wisdom. Yeah. Or the strong boast of their strength. Like for example, Pastor Keith Craig has these um, feats of strength. Yeah. You know, bending metal bars and, and smashing, smashing yeah, bricks. I've seen that, yeah, yeah. Right? But he boasts God and gives glory to God in those acts of strength. Yeah. Right in your acts of wisdom, you praise God. You worship. You, you worship God. You don't not ask people to worship you. It also says in the scripture, or or the rich boast their riches. Okay, is it boastful? Um, now people give me a knock. Matt, will you drive a Rolls Royce? Well, guess what I want to do with that Rolls Royce? For me, it's a marketing tool to attract eyeballs to a movement, to a uh, to a uh, an area of literacy that many people feel feel illiterate in in an area that attracts people in, in a position of where they're at. So, for example, can I see a pastor rolling up in a 64 Chevy Impala dropped up? Cool, right? Yeah. But if you're acting like a thug and you're giving glory upon yourself versus yeah. giving glory upon God and attracting people to the word, people are going to be repelled by that. 1,000%. Because then they're going to feel, bro, you're using your church to do what? To get you rich. 1,000%. Right? To get huh. you rich. And so, you know, you know, you know, boast is also defined as talking with excessive pride and self-satisfaction about one's achievements, possessions, or abilities. Why? How do believers feel about this? The only, we, only reason, reason why we have achievements, the only reason why we have possessions or abilities is because God gave that to us. It wasn't us. So even for me, I'm, 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 I'm mindful. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, uh, humbled knowing that, you know, when much is given, much is expected. What God gives, God can also take away. And so, you know, faith, here, here's also the annoying part about this. I, I got a couple of thoughts here. The annoying part about this and looking at mega churches is also faith also requires having discipline. But trust is a power. It, you have to trust in a power that's greater than you. So if you're going to this church, you got to understand, okay, cool, big church, well, well, all right, but what's, what's, what's the real 
faith, you should have, should be a faith in the pastor, should have faith in, in the worship band, mm. right? Or should be faith in God. Now, if you have that faith in God, guess what these mega churches are going to do to as well? Faith means having discipline. means you have to trust in a part that's greater, greater than yourself. That's having, that's having faith. Number two, again, you get lost in the sauce of a mega church. The bigger you, you get, the smaller you have to be, the smaller you have to be as a church to be proactive and as a ministry leading your church and making sure people get plugged into those small ministries. For example, uh, I give uh, hats off to um, Pastor uh, Garrett Unkelbach. Uh, he was a guest here on the show. Mm. Um, and part of that church getting bigger, they have different pastors assigned a different division of the pastor. His job as a Navy SEAL, former Navy SEAL, is to deal with men in the, in the church. He's got a mighty men ministry. Pastor Garrett Unkelbach, shout out to you, doing a fantastic job with your men's ministry. Every Saturday morning, I'm in, time, I'm in there at 7 a.m. They have 300 men showing up at 7 a.m. 300 men. And by the way, their boys are coming out. Their sons are coming out. He starts it off with push-ups. <laughs> Mighty men, you're at Elevate Life Church. This leads me to my, my third point. Pastors don't, people don't want to feel that pastors are getting rich off people's pain, suffering, and vulnerability. However, that being said, in a recession, ministry becomes a job opportunity. Watch, watch when this happens. When people, more people get laid off, more people get laid off, guess what people say? Well, I'm going to go into ministry. I'm going to become a pastor. Bro, we know in the hood, Right? West side of Chicago. Worst parts of town. What's every block have in, in the hood? They got a check cashing station. They got a liquor store. They got a, what? Uh, what's right next to it? Harold's Chicken, J.J. Fish, and a church. Bro, every block. You go down, you go down into the hood, you're going to find that these neighborhoods, nothing but churches, nothing but fish spots, chicken spots, check cashing stations. It becomes a ministry. That's what people despise about faith in, in, in church. So for those of you that's out there that you're seeking a relationship with Christ, that you're seeking a relationship to a, a greater next version of you, and that you need a savior, my prayer to you is don't look at the church. Look past the church. And you can't find a church that vibes. Maybe that may not be a church for you. Mm -hmm. Find yourself a Bible-centered church that talks from the that talks from the gospel, not from their motivational speech. So as we wrap up, bro, great show. Any final thoughts, man, before we wrap up episode deuce, deuce. I actually want to wrap up with maybe maybe two, three things to look for when looking for a church. I know a lot of these men and women on here, whether you go to a church or not, how do you, what are two, three things that we as men and women or people trying to follow Christ that we should look for before attending a church and saying, all right, this is definitely the church for me? One more time, how do you, how do you define that? So where, for, for, for you, being in, being in a position that you're in, mm -hmm. you have a family, you, know, you, have, you have a wife, you have kids, you have people that you're leading in business and outside of business. What are two, three things that you look for before saying this is the church I'm going to attend? I got to make sure that that pastor is just as fired up about being a pastor as I am about being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And they also understand there's a relationship between being a pastor, between the priests and the kings. Mm -hmm. You're a king. I'm a king. Men in business, men that are leading their careers and lives in their, in their businesses, they're kings. There's a relationship between the church and the kings, right? The, 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 the pastor brings the vision, and guess what the kings do? They provide the provision. Right? That's my design. I'm, I want to make sure I bring the people and the money and the resources to make sure that this vision that this pastor has, which is given by God, is magnified and, and exalted and, and, and taken to the next level. That's, that's what I feel. And that pastor has to recognize that too as well. And the pastor isn't poo-pooing people that are making money. Can't I can't tell you how many times I've been to a, a church where the pastors are belittling people in that church that make a lot of money. Right? Or belittling people that are not tithing and giving uh, and, and people are, are, are without, uh, hey, by the way, I know times are tough. Here's the expression of tithes. Here's the expression of when, when to give when it's tough. 
But no, man, you, if you don't tithe, you, you don't love God. And they guilt people into, into, into tithing and giving, right? And so I don't like, I don't like that uh, aspect to it as well. Uh, I, I like to making sure that there's plenty of opportunities for many people at whatever they're, how they're, however they want to grow spiritually can grow. I love making sure that they believe heavily in, in the, the nuclear family, husband and wives getting together. They don't believe in, uh, you know, regardless of what the, word is, what the world is doing, they don't conform to the patterns of the world, that they stay solid to, to the word. Yeah. Appreciate that, man. That gives me a little more clear for myself as well. And this is not something that I want to state. This is something that I want. This is a door I want to open. I want to open up to all the viewers, whether you're watching live now or whether you'll be watching this video whenever you watch it. I want to be able to open the doors to my to my specific life, uh, to me specifically. And if there's anyone out there who needs someone to pray for them, needs prayer on any level, whether it's for family, for business, for yourself, if you feel like you're going through a mental, emotional struggle and you just can't make ends meet and you just feel like you need some form of guidance and you need someone there in your corner to kind of help you and guide you and someone to pray with you and pray for you, you can easily find me on social media, SMB Performance uh, underscore, or if you have my number, um, it's also on my Instagram page or my Facebook page, Milton M. Alvarez. Feel free to reach out at any point in time. If you have a number, please text me, call me. You're not alone. You're not going to be alone. We're not meant to go through life alone. And whatever it is that you need, just know that God's with you, has been with you, is with you, and is, go is always going to be with you. And you have someone here willing and wanting to pray for you and pray with you through the process of this thing that we call life. Amen to yeah. that. By the way, if you guys want to take a book of the Bible to process and understand how God feels about money, possessions, wealth, happiness, prosperity. My recommendation is you open up the Bible to Proverbs. Mm. Proverbs talks about wisdom, understanding, what, uh, what, what, the, what your standpoint is on, on, on finances, crazy scriptures in there by the wisest and richest king who ever lived. Which, by the way, we're going to be relaunching the uh, Money Smart Guy Bible series yeah. on Sunday nights at 6 p.m. And we're going to start off with Ecclesiastes. We've been Proverbs before. Now we're going to go into his other book, which is Ecclesiastes. That's going to be starting next Sunday, not this Sunday, but next Sunday, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time when we're launching those episodes. Bible studies, Money Smart Guy Bible studies on Ecclesiastes beginning a couple weeks here on Sunday, 6 p.m. So with that being said, let me know your thoughts, your questions, your feedback. Please drop them in the comment section below. Uh, anybody, especially you want to give a shout out to, they've been uh, chatting with us on the live chat. Uh, number one, always Miriam Rivera, man. She's, She's been great, man. The very T -T 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 Miriam. Titi Miriam, uh, Brandon Marquez, appreciate my buddy from uh, from Chicago jumping in. Laquan uh, was out there too. Laquan, Mr. Laquan Butler, and uh, we have uh, Andra. She's also been very faithful since, since the very beginning. Whether she's working or not working, she's because she's listening to us. Ricky Rivera, and then also I think this is Mark, if I'm not mistaken. Legacy. Marcus, Sarah, Sarah Liddell, yeah. Bugs. What's up? Appreciate you guys jumping in, man. So everyone who's been watching, and especially the people who've been watching us in the very beginning when we only had one or two viewers, and <laughs> we appreciate your patience, and your grace, and giving us the, the platform to add value to your lives. Yeah, we thank you guys for getting us to cross over 1,000 subs on YouTube, and we're growing, we're expanding, we're excited. We started this from scratch, and we're committed to you and making sure there's a podcast out there to help you process faith, finances, fatherhood, fitness, all in one podcast. With that being said, guys, appreciate your thoughts, comments, questions. Feedback, please put it in the comment section below. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe. Hit like. Let everybody know that you're watching the Millionaire Goals podcast. That being said, from Dallas, Texas, on behalf of Milton Alvarez, I'm your money smart guy. And until we meet again, continue to live smart, continue to love smart, and be money smart today. See you next week. Bye-bye.